This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So we're going to continue on, um, this is the third lesson in this teaching of restoring the relationship, God's redemption plan for man. And our uh, foundational scripture is John 3.16. Go ahead and go over there to John 3.16. And we are going to do a little review, but then I'm going to go on into, um, hopefully not as much as I did last week, but we're going to go on into the new information. So John 3.16, we will read the foundational scripture, though. So John 3.16, we're going to read verses um, 16 through 21 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And we looked looked at this and I told you basically this teaching we're going to go through and we're going to break down. We're going to do some in-depth teaching on this passage of scripture. But if you look in this scripture, it said that God so loved the world. And we said God loved all of us. And we included everybody in the world. You know, you think of certain people, but it's not just certain people. It's everybody. It's the people, and, and Minister Martin said it, I'm saying it because I want to drive this home for you. There's no one that God can't reach. There's no one that God doesn't want to reach. Salvation is for everyone. He loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the world except those people over there that live in that house. Or those people who speak this way. Or those people who dress this way. Or those people I've never met. That's not what it says. It says the world. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. So last week we kind of talked about believeth. You have to believe something. So what are we believing in? You have to believe that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, so that we wouldn't perish. And we said perish is a final destination of ruin and hell apart from God, who is life, truth, and joy. So God loved the world. That's everybody, everybody, ever born, everybody, all over, all through time, everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave something so that we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. Everlasting life, that's eternal life. It's a new quality of life. Once you believe, you possess that. It's going to come to fruition at another time, but you have it and you'll possess it forever. So what happens is these words that I'm talking about, perish and everlasting life, 
These transcend the time that we live in now, the temporal things that we know now. What we think about, when we think about our lives, we know that things end. And we, we talk about it all the time. There are seasons. There are appointed times. But what we're talking about here, what God is talking about here, perishing in every life, everlasting life, these transcend what we understand. It's different from what we're experiencing now. So what we need to remember is that God extends the offer. He already provided what's needed for us to be out of condemnation. What he does is he extends the offer. He said, do you want to believe on my only begotten son who I gave so you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life? He extends that offer. He said, here, it's for you. You can say, ah, God, I'm fine. I'm going to go over here and just have this perish. I'm fine with that. Or you can accept it. So you can reject it or you can accept it. You want to remember, and I'm going to say this probably every time, the most important thing you will ever do in your life is respond to the gospel message. It's the most important thing you will ever do. Not only is not only that initial response, but you're going to continue to respond to the gospel message throughout the rest of your days. Your response is totally your responsibility. No one else can respond for you and you can't respond for someone else. If you haven't written that down or whatever you're doing, write that down. I'm going to read it again for you. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is respond to the gospel message. Your response is totally your responsibility. No one else can respond for you and you can't respond for someone else. So the ball is in your court. And I said the objective of this teaching is to provide a clear understanding of what God has done for us and what it means to believe the gospel message so that we can have the acceptable initial and ongoing response to God. So we have to accept, you don't have to accept, but you should accept the gospel. That is, that's the acceptable um, response. But then you also have to, the, the gospel message, you have to keep accepting it. You have to keep making the choice to say, I believe that God sent his only begotten son. So that song we were listening to that, that uh, Sister Harris was singing, it was saying I am and it was giving all these things that God is. The thing about it is if you're going to respond to that, if you believe that, if you, you believe that God is your peace, there's a response that you'll have. There's an action that you'll have if you believe that God is the healer. There's a response you'll have if you believe that God is joy, if he is love. You're not If you think that something... Here it is. If you believe, let's say I believe that this podium is hot, I'm going to step away from it. I'm not going to stand near it. But if I, so if I believe it's hot, when I touch it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to act a certain way. If I don't think it's hot, I'll come up here. I'll lean on it. If I didn't believe it was sturdy enough for me, I would be kind of like, well, let me just see if I can put my Bible. I'll put my Bible on last. Oh, should I put the water on the floor? Because I believe it's a certain thing. Same thing with God. If you believe he is who he says he is, then there's going to be a response to that belief. There's an action behind it. It's not just words. It's something you're going to do. That's the First, there's an initial belief. And then you make that choice. We talked about repentance. We're going to talk about seeking God later on. But there's that initial response to the gospel saying, yes, I, I don't want to perish. I realize that I'm out of position with God. I realize that I need to repent. I repent. I turn towards God. And that's the initial 
response. But then there's a continual response because you're not just going to turn toward God and then have a seat. It's a walk. You know, you hear it all the time, this Christian walk. It means it's a movement. It, you're going through. You're going towards a, a goal. So you're going to respond how you live your life based on what you believe. Then we talked about that um, the light, that Christ is the light. When you accept Jesus, when you accept the gospel, you get the light. We said that Christ put on flesh because he's God. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. We went over to John chapter 1 and we looked at that. God was never out of place though. So when, when Christ came and he became a sacrifice for us, we were the ones who were wrong. Christ was not. It was, it was, it was a totally selfless act because he didn't have anything to gain from it. He was fine. We were out of place. And we went over to Romans 5 and we talked about, we looked at how when we had nothing to give, when we could not do anything for ourselves, God still sent his son so that we could be saved. And the thing about it is, he knew exactly all, I think we talked about this, all the bad stuff you were going to do. All the disappointments. You may, he knew the thing that you are most embarrassed of and you regret, God knew it. And you know what? He still sent his son. The things that you think are horrible that other people do and you're like, oh my God, how can they do that? God still sent his son so that that person could be saved. The, the, the things you think of that are unreachable, God sent his son so that we could have a way out of that. So knowing that, we can respond and we can accept the gift that God has given us. And once again, it's your choice. It's your choice. All up to you. But we do have an adversary. And the adversary is not going to want you to make the right choice. The adversary has already lost his position. He knows in the end he's already defeated. He's just trying to pull other people with him. So what he's trying to do, we heard it Sunday, he's trying to deceive. And if he can get you off course, if he can get you to believe something that is not true, then he's got you. But the choice is yours because the great thing about it is light. God is light. God is truth. So what God is doing, he's saying, no, no, no. You may bring that deception in, but I'm going to bring in my light. I'm going to bring in my truth. So when God brings the light in, don't, don't, mess, don't get messed up about it. You know, once again, the lights turn on. It's all bright. You've been in darkness. Now it's all bright. It's different. You're making faces and you're, oh, I don't know if I can deal with this. And you start looking around. Your eyes get used to it. Then you start looking around and you start saying, oh, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that was there. I didn't know the carpet was so dirty. I didn't know that. I'm just using the room for an example, but think of your mind. Think of your life. God starts exposing things and he starts pulling back the curtain and he starts showing you, wait a minute, this is wrong. You're not thinking correctly about this. You're not doing this properly. God is sending his light so that you can get in proper position. He's saying, no, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to be deceived anymore. I want you to come to the truth. We talked about that we as, as, as the creature, so God is the creator. As the creature, we cannot worship ourselves more instead of God. So what does that mean? Because you know every time people say worship, you always think, oh, I'm bowing down, I'm singing songs. I don't sing songs about myself. I sing songs about God. But you know, your outward worship should come from your heart. 
Because anybody can lift their hands. If you turn, you can look at a worldly concert and you can look at a Christian concert. If you turn the music down, they will look the same. You people are gonna have their hands up. They're gonna be singing. They're gonna be bobbing their head. So a lot you wouldn't be able to necessarily tell the difference. But worship, true worship, comes from your heart. So in your heart, in and this is the best way to say, in the highest place in your mind. The thing that controls you is God there. Or something, someone else, an idea, whatever it is. If anything else is there, then you are worshiping the creature and not the creator. And a lot of times we have taken what God has said and we've twisted it and we've turned it and we've made our own thing out of it. And now we're saying what I say, what man says, is what I'm going to worship. Like we'll say salvation comes a certain way. No, salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Or salvation comes through Jesus Christ and X, Y, and Z. No, that's worshiping the, crea- uh, the crea- creature instead of the creator. And we talked about that there are thoughts, attitudes, mindsets, and beliefs and actions that are anti-Christ. They are not Christ. So don't get all messed up. I know when you hear Antichrist, you get all, oh, Antichrist, oh. No, Antichrist just means not Christ, against Christ. If it's not Christ, guess what? Then it's Antichrist. So if it, if it makes it say, say, sound better to you, there are thoughts, attitudes, mindsets, beliefs, ideas, and actions that are not Christ-like. Same thing as Antichrist. Same thing. So the thing about that, once you can, once you clarify that in your head, you'll realize how dangerous it is to accept things that are not godly. Because once you accept one thing, we heard it Sunday, once you accept one piece of deception, the enemy has a foothold. So you have to go in and you have to let God reveal himself to you. You don't have to, you don't need to depend on man's doctrine to think that that's what's going to get you through. So there are some things that have been built up and ingrained strategically over time. And there are some things that you can't imagine your life if they change, but they're not of God. And God is saying we need to change those things. Don't be afraid. So if you're afraid, if you said God, uh, you heard me say God said you need to change some things and you automatically got scared. Guess what is sitting on the throne of your life? That fear. That's, That's what's holding you back. Let that go. Let that go. Because the thing about it is if if that's the case, there's something else you're going to fear. You're always going to be scared of something. So you may as well go on and and be afraid to change for God and just push through. So we looked at the word um, believe. We said believe was to think to be true. It implies trust. It is to believe to the extent of complete trust. So we're to have our complete trust in the word of God, not the mind of men or the ideas of men. So for some reason, well, we know the reason, there are things that have, we've accepted as the truth of God that are actually um, made up for men. So last week we talked about the external influences and then our internal parts that were going on. So we talked about how there are those who have been in powers, uh, positions of delegated authority, 
who maybe misconstrued the word of God. Maybe they had a misunderstanding and they told everybody wrong. Maybe they didn't care if it was right or wrong, but they gave the wrong information. Or they gave an idea of something that was ungodly and they said it was godly. They, they provided wrong as right. And what happens is we hear that even if we don't necessarily, um, even if those people don't necessarily hold that position in our life, but we see them in that position. We say, well, that's the position of authority. And then they say something that is wrong and it's about God. We, we may not accept it, but we hold on to it. And then there was another group of people. Those are people who have influence in your life. Maybe um, they were a family friend as you were growing up. Maybe you gave them influence in your life. Maybe they're your friend. And they tell you things that are wrong. They live away. I mean, I think I gave an example of this last week. You see someone who is supposed to be living a certain way. They say they're this. They're hypocrites. So pretty much. They say they trust God and they believe in God, but they live like a sinner. They say one thing and they live another way. So you grab that and you held that on into, into your mind. And what happens is you take those pieces and you start putting it together. And then you start putting a picture. And this is the internal. So you start putting a picture together, thoughts, ideas of who God is, what he does, based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, based on even your interpretation of things. Sometimes you'll hear the right word. It will be the perfect word, but you misunderstand it. And it could just be you were sleepy, you were tired, you just didn't feel like hearing it that day. But you didn't get the right understanding of the word. So you take all those things, and then you build up something that is not the truth of God. So once you've done that, now you will bow down to those ideas. So let's say, let's say, I think I used this one week. Let's say for some reason, based on, you know, what I've heard, what I've seen, I believe that people who don't live on the continent of North America cannot be saved. So I just believe that. And I meet somebody, and they're from Australia, and I'm talking to them, and I get ready. I said, well, I was going to preach the gospel to them, but they can't be saved, right? So guess what? Now I'm worshiping that wrong thought. That thought controls my, my reaction to them. And a lot of times we will worship the things that we put higher than God. The things that we think are bigger than God. We will worship them. Like I was talking about that fear. You don't think that God can take care of you. You're afraid because you think that you step out there, you're going to lose something. Or you don't think God can take care of you. You think God is going to get you out there and just leave you by yourself. So you're afraid. All those ideas, that's what you're worshiping. That's what you are saying is bigger than God. So we can't have those things in those high places. God is the one who deserves that high place in our life. So last week, I do want to say this. So we cannot let our culture, our background, our past experiences, our social social affiliations, or anything else dictate how we live. And it's so, I I look at it and I'm like, man, you know, people want to, really want to belong I I look at society is just odd and I'm really not that old but I see how things are happening people will not have um, the I don't want to say nuclear but the traditional family that you have like mother father sisters brothers even cousins aunts uncles those kind of things they will break off and create another group to belong to 
And I saw this thing, and it always gets to me, and if somebody can explain it, tell me about it. This Friendsgiving. Have y'all heard of that? Right around Thanksgiving. It, you know, I just get with my friends. But what has happened is we, will, we, will, we would rather, instead of, instead of and, and it's nothing wrong with spending time with your friends, that's fine. But we will pull apart what God has pulled together to create our own things. Because what we want to do is we want to be around people who like us, who agree with us, who don't push back. And you know, and you know, I'm going to tell you, the hardest people to get along with is your family. We all know that. We all know that. And it doesn't matter. I think I have a wonderful family. And everybody else is like, but your family's wonderful. But we all, we all are like, oh, but we get on each other's nerves. But that's, that's the thing about it is because it's your family. Don't run out on that. Stay in. Work through those things. But we'll, we'll pull away from that which we are already tied to, our family, and we'll go do all these other groups and then get a T-shirt about it. And I was looking at that. I was like, because they had T-shirts at work. I was like, I'm not paying the, a T-shirt to say I work here. And, but if, if people want to belong to something. And then they take that group that they're affiliated with and they let that group tell them what to think and what to do. That's why I'm going with all these things. So you can't get mixed up in all those kind of things. It's fine. If you want to have Friendsgiving, have it. But what I'm saying is don't let those types of things control your life. Don't let that be your God. Don't let that be where your decision making is. So... Let's go ahead and let's go over to Numbers chapter 23. This is where we kind of left off last week. And this is where we're going to pick up. So Numbers 23. And what we, we were looking at. We're saying, is God who I think he is? Who is God? If you have the wrong perception of God, you can't clearly understand what he's done. That's why I was talking about all that stuff earlier, about the things you built up in your mind, the things that you've accepted as truth that's really not truth. The the affiliations that you want to have and the things that you let um, influence you will have a direct impact on who you think God is. So, let's look at this. Numbers chapter 23. We're just going to look at verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? So, God is not a man. He is not a man that he should lie. He is the creator. He created man. He is greater than man. He is the greatest. So what we have to understand is God's not going to change. That's what it means to repent. He's not going to change. He doesn't have to change. We may use, last week I talked about this, we may use words that we understand like good, good, loving, perfect to understand God because that's the way we can understand him. But who he is really is greater than that. We just have to understand, we have to use those words to understand him. 
And like I said last week, we see those words through our fleshly eyes, through our imperfections. But God is truly perfect. There's no shadow of turning. He is light. There is no shadow of turning in Him. There's no darkness in Him. So He is love. He is healing. I was looking up some stuff and it, and it didn't say God the healer. It said God is healing. So, you know, you think about that. God, when you, God is all of that plus some more. So he's not us. We are finite. That means that we have an ending. We have a beginning and an ending. There are things that we can't reach beyond. But guess what? None of that even, even goes to God. There, he just blows all the limits out. Go over to James chapter 1. But what I really want you to understand is God is not a man. So we can't think of him as human. And I know it gets a little weird because we do have to use words that we describe humans with. But it's so important that we understand that God is not a man. He's, we, don't even, we don't deal with him like we deal with men. We have to understand who God is and here it is, right here. We can understand everything that God is because he's too much for us to understand. But what he reveals to us, we have to take it in, listen to it, then we have to embrace it. Embrace it means take some time, study it, spend some time with it, and then we have to put it in our heart. We have to keep it in our heart. So we can't let the world, we can't let society, we can't let the news, we can't let our friends tell us who God is. God will reveal himself. God will tell him, tell us who he is. So, James chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 17. It says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God is good. There, you, you can't separate the two. God is good. There's no way you're going to get bad out of good. So all good can never produce bad. So what he gives us, he gives us salvation. He gives us his joy, his peace. What he gives us is good, it's beneficial, and it's perfect. There's no darkness in God. So when you think of when you think of darkness, okay, let's think of light first. Light. In this case, it is truth. It is love. It is peace. That's who God is. That's what he is. You can't separate it. So he does not have any darkness. He does not have any untruth. He does not have any chaos. That's not God. So everything that he gives, everything that comes uh, comes from him, it's good. It's perfect. It's beneficial for us. Now, a lot of times we'll say, well, what you said God gave me, God gave, told me to change and do some da-da-da-da, and I didn't want to do it. That's because right now you don't know what good is. You're thinking what you're holding on to is good. And, and what you're holding on to is good, but what God is saying, no, it's really not good. Remember in the first week, it was Matthew 6 we went to, if you thought that your darkness is light, how great is your darkness? So that thing that you, 
you think it's good. You say, but God, this is good. Why would you tell me not to do this, not to be friends with this person, not to think this way? And God says, no, you think it's good, but I'm going to really give you more information and you're going to see it's not good. But I got to get you to let go of it. You got to let go of it. You have to trust God. Because God is able and he's willing to meet every one of our needs. We just need to believe. We just need to trust who he is and rely that on him and believe that he is who he says he is. That's, uh, that song is like perfect. Because it's saying this is who God is. Do you believe that? Do you rely on that? Because you believe, remember, believe is implying trust. Last week we said um, God's not seeking retribution. He's provided salvation for us. If he wanted retribution, if he wanted to get you back, or if he just wanted to do bad things to you, why would he have sent Jesus? He could have just left you in condemnation. Condemnation is bad, just in case you didn't know. Condemnation is bad. He could have just been like, well, they're in condemnation now. Just hang out over there. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm God. I'm the creator. He could have gone and created some more stuff and just left us alone. So what you have to understand is all of that, well, God's going to get you and all of these kind of things. That's not, that's not God. He wants us back in fellowship with him. The other thing that we talked about last week is God's not taking anyone else's opinion of you. And I want to make sure that you understand this. People aren't talking about you. That's, don't think about that. That's kind of like, um, what do you call it? That's kind of conspiracy theorists. There's some other things if you think people are always talking about you. But a lot of times we want to go to God through a third party. So because we believe that God works that way, we don't believe we can go directly to God. We believe that that intermediary or multiple intermediaries, the third and fourth party, you know, you don't feel like you can pray. So you got to call your mama to tell your mama to call her friend who prays all the time for you. So you believe that that's the way that you get to God. And you, and that's it. So you think that if that person, somebody closer to God, that you think is closer to God, says something about you, that God's taking that. The thing about it is God already knows. God already knows. So you can't, you can't sit around and think that God thinks about you like other people do. If you knew what God thought about you, you would really change. And not in the sense that you would be afraid, not in the sense that you would be fearful, but you would be, um, you would have gratitude. Because I was thinking about this, it's this song and I love it, and it's You Covered Me. And, it, and the song talks about when nobody else believed in me, it's God that believed in me. And I love that song because that's what I, I think, I, I know for, for, and I don't know, I just know how I feel. When I didn't even believe in me. When I was like, God, why, why would you want, why would you even want me? Why would you want to spend time with me? Why would you want to give me something to do? And, but he was there for me. And if you could see what God wants to do in and through your life, it would be so different. So that's what I mean that God doesn't take anybody else's opinion of you, not even your own. You may be feeling like, man, you know, God, I just can't get it right. Guess what? God knew that already. But he's saying, but guess what? I'm giving you away. You don't have to get it right. What I need you to do is I need you to believe and keep believing, and I'll make sure you get to the position where you can. I can give you my righteousness. Because our righteousness is trash. 
We can't, if our righteousness worked, he wouldn't have had to send Jesus. So let's go over to Isaiah 55. And this is where we um, actually stop. I think I read this last week. I don't really know how my time goes like that. Isaiah 55 verses 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, excuse me, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's telling you right there, don't think of God like you think of man. Whatever you think in God's thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. So if you think that God's love is based on anything that you can do or anything another person has done, then you're missing it. God's love is based on him just being love. His love is unconditional. There's no prompting. You don't have to say, God, do you love me? Can you love me? No, he just said, I already love you. I love you before the beginning of time. God's not a respecter of person. He's saying, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he's, he's saying it to everyone. Seek him while he, can, while he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. While this time is here, seek him. Go after him. That's just not saying that I'm going to, you know, I'll turn on the live stream or maybe watch it, but I'm halfway there and I'll pick up my Bible every once in a while. No, seeking denotes some continual action, some continual going after. You know, you remember when you were little and you played hide and seek? So if you were the person counting and you had to go seek, you didn't just go look over here and look over there. You went and you looked for people. That's what we seek God. You know what? Seek him and he'll be found. He's not going to hide from you like that. The thing about it is what, what you have to do. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. God is saying, I don't have these rankings of sin like some people have. Some people say this thing is a bigger thing than this thing. And, and these things can be forgiven. These things cannot be forgiven. That's not what God is saying. God's not saying that, hey, there are certain people that I'll save and there are certain people that I won't save. There are certain people that I love too. I have to love them. No, God doesn't have to do anything. He's God. He's not a respecter person. Remember, for God so loved the world. So that's everybody. He's not going to turn away anyone who seeks him. So once again, we've got to stop thinking about God like we think about man. So, listen, if you've heard, if somebody has told you that there is something that God's not going to forgive you for, that's wrong. Listen, he doesn't have, like I said, he doesn't have these rankings of sin. He's not saying, oh, you embezzle some money, so you're better than the drug dealer. So I can, I can forgive this sin, 
You know, all you got to do is pray to me maybe a second and I'll believe you. Oh, the drug dealer? Oh, you're going to have to pray for 25 minutes before I save you. No, that's not how God does. God's not saying, oh, so, oh, so you just cheated on your wife. Well, you know, that's fine. Oh, but you're a homosexual? Well, I don't know if I can forgive that. Sin is sin. Let me tell you, stop ranking your sins. Well, I don't, I don't do this, this, and this, and she does this, this, and this, so I'm a better person. No. Sin is sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So guess what? We repent from that sin and we turn away from that and we turn to God. The thing about it is we were all in the same place. Remember over there in Romans 5 we talked about it. It was nobody good. But now God has provided a way back. So we have to make sure these are the things you have to pull out of your mind. And I know sometimes these are things that have been built up over time. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I believe that since I can remember. But that's not who God is. That's not who God is. So we've tried as people, as men, as humanity, we've tried to make God a man. And people have even weaponized God. So what do I mean by weaponizing? They've used God as a weapon to either harm people. They've used them to make people, put people down. You know, well, you do this. I I just kind of gave that example. You do this, so God doesn't really like that, so now I'm better than you. You you can have that in an individual kind of relationship. So, you know, and this happens a lot. Like you'll have a friend who maybe, um, you know, might be a little wild, but you're like, I'm a church girl. And you you cool with them because they make you feel good. But you make sure you always tell them, oh, oh, you went there? Oh, well, you know, I don't go there because I go to church. But you're, you, you're making God out to be a man. You're using God to weaponize, and you're making that other person, you're pumping up yourself and making the other person putting them down. Because now you want to say, well, now I'm better. I'm better because you're using God as a weapon. And then you wonder why people don't want to hear about God from you. They're like, well, if, if, you're, if you're representing God and you're putting me down and making me feel bad about what I do, why would I want to go talk to God? So then you have people who try to do it with groups. We see it all the time. You say God said this and God said that, and they use it to, to make disciples to themselves. That's that deception. So we try to make God a man and put him on our level and make him useful to us. He becomes a resource to us. And that is wrong. That is not who God is. Let me tell you, you have to understand who God is. All those things that you've heard that tell you that God is for some people and against other people, that he has, um, that he has favorites, even, you know, and you see it all the time. Oh, let's help Israel. Let's help Israel. God loves Israel. But guess what? He loves us. And notice I didn't say he loves us too. God used Israel for a purpose and a plan. And he's going to work his plan out. Understand that. So everybody that want to be, what is it now, the the black Israelites, the black Jews, listen. And you may turn this off after I say this, but I'm going to help you out tonight. Stop wasting your time. Get in the Word. All the time you spend trying to figure that stuff out, get in the Word of God. Listen, listen to some SoundCloud. Listen to some, some stuff you're hearing that's the truth. Because you're wasting your time and you're going down a rabbit hole and it's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. It's actually just hardening your heart towards the things of God. 
And, you know, that's just one thing. That's just the thing that came to my mind. But there are so many other things that we run down these rabbit holes. You know, like, um, you know, why did um, I saw this thing on Facebook and it almost made me want to cry. It was like this this guy I grew up with, he put on Facebook, he said, what has God ever done for a black man? And I mean, you know, and you're like, not the God that some people have said. Not that, that, that made up being that they used to say that slavery was right and keep people enslaved. That's not God. But it has been built up over time. So now when it's time to preach the gospel, what has to happen is instead of just being able to go in and say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, there's that deception. There are those things that we have to come in and we have to say, that's not God. That's not who he is. So as you hear these things and you're saying, oh, wait, yeah, that's right. As the light comes in and you see it and you recognize that, wait, I need to know who God is. It's not good enough just to say I'm not, I'm going to take that thought out. I'm going to take that belief out. Now what needs to happen is we need to put the right thing in. Like when I was saying God is love, God is perfect. Those are the things you need to put in. Don't just leave it empty. You need to put in the word. You need to put in who God truly is and not who man has made him out to be. So we can trust God. To trust means to believe in him to the point of reliance or dependence on. So we can trust God. And that means to believe in him to the point of reliance, dependence upon. So that means I depend on God. I rely on him. Earlier I said there's not a need that we have that God can't meet. I rely on that. I depend on that. So... If what you believe is wrong, then what you're trusting in will be wrong. So you've got to get your mind right. We've got to get our mind right. Things that will stop you from trusting or, I don't want to say weaken, I guess you could say weaken your trust because either you trust or you don't trust. But is um, how you think of the relationship that you have. So... If you think that your relationship with God is broken or is weak or is injured, then you won't trust. Because remember, you're trusting so you rely upon, you depend upon. Like I was using that example of this, this podium. If I trust that this podium can hold my weight, I'll lean on it. I'll depend on it to hold me up. If I don't trust, I'll back away and I'll be real slight. You know, I might do a little of this, but I ain't going to lean on it. Same way with God. If you think that there's something wrong with that relationship, then you won't trust. Now, there was. The relationship was broken and we messed it up. Sin. But guess what? God fixed it through Jesus Christ. So, if you think, if you feel like that you can't trust God, you won't ask. Or you'll ask, it will, but it'll be more of... Just asking just because you, you know, like I'll just say I ask God, but I'm going to just go, you know, here it is right here. Let's say you have um, a financial thing that comes up and you need some money. And you're like, well, God, I don't know where I'm going to get this money from. God, show me the way to get the money. And then you go, 
and you go right and pull money out of your 401k? Well, you ask, but you didn't expect an answer because you didn't wait on it. You know, you already had the computer screen up. You had logged in. You said, oh, let me ask God real quick. That's the difference. You just went through the motions. If you trust, what would happen is you'd ask God, and then you wait. And hopefully tonight, probably won't get to, but we'll talk about waiting some night. You won't trust God if you think he's going to disappoint you. And you say, what? God disappoint? Some, some people, we, 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 you really have to think about how, how things are going. Because you say disappoint, and you're like, well, God can't disappoint. No, God can't disappoint. But that doesn't mean you, can't, you don't think he can disappoint. I can't let the unfaithfulness of men make me think that God is unfaithful. I was um, watching this brother do a teaching, and he was talking about God being um, father. And he said something, and I was like, that's right on point. Um, he was using, he said, some people, if you didn't have, if your father maybe walked out on you, and you couldn't trust your father, so when you hear the word father, even though you know God is good, until you reconcile that word father with God and not father with the man that lets you down, it's always going to have a little aftertaste to it. So sometimes, and sometimes even just people in authority, people in our lives, like I told, told you, some people who are hypocrites, and you identified God with them because of their position, you'll start thinking, wait a minute, is God like that? And he's not. So I cannot think that God's a man. I, can't, I cannot say God is unfaithful because man is unfaithful because that's, that's not true. Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 29. So I can't let the unfaithfulness of man make me think that God is unfaithful. I can trust God. So Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall pray, ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye, sh- and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nation- nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I have caused you to be carried away captive. So, I love that, that first uh, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God, like I said, God has thoughts about you that you can't even imagine. But the thing about it is you've got to seek God. So it says, then, ye shall, then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. So, seek God. Pray. Look, you know what's a God? Yes, I need to be restored. And guess what? He'll restore. There are some things that God wants to do in you and through you, but you have to trust Him. You have to believe Him. Your believing leads to trusting. And in that, you've got to seek. 
and like I said, seeking is not just going in and saying, okay, I'm here, I'm going to do some things. Seeking is action. It is diligent. It is going after the things of God. We have to understand that God has our best interest, uh, our best interest at heart. He is not look he's not trying to do us harm like i said he's not looking for to get us retribution in that chat in that verse 11 it said he has thoughts of peace towards you so if you don't believe that god's not looking out that god is not looking out for your best interest then you won't trust him like i was saying earlier you, you have that fear god is saying no i need you to change this but you think that god is trying to harm you by saying change this you think that the things that I'm saying that I'm trying to get faith, I'm trying to tear your life apart. I'm not trying to tear your life apart. I don't, I don't know you like that. That's not who I am. I'm just giving you that God is trying to get you to a place to that expected end. But if you don't believe that he has your best interest at heart, remember everything that he gives is good. It's perfect. It's beneficial. So he knows a whole lot more than you know. So you have to trust him. But if you don't believe that he has your best interest, you won't trust him because you think you've got to do it for yourself. Another reason you won't trust God is unmet expectations. So what does that mean, I won't trust God because of unmet expectations? If you think God hasn't kept up his deal, his end of the deal, remember that disappointment? You won't trust. This comes from embracing the wrong information. So what do I mean by an unmet expectation? You had an expectation that God was going to do something or something was going to work out a certain way and it didn't happen. So a lot of people have believed God for something that we thought we would get, that we thought would change, that we thought would happen, and then it didn't. And what it did, it eroded our trust in God. So let's say, okay, God, I started tithing, I thought my finances would be better. I thought you fixed my finances. So, no. Remember I said this comes because of embracing the wrong information? That's wrong information. That's not why you tithe. But if you embrace that, inf- that piece of information, you start tithing, you say, I'm going to tithe, and in six months, God's going to fix my finances, right? So you embrace that. That's what's in your head. That's what you start thinking. That's what you start believing. That's what you start ordering your life after. Then the six months come, and you're like, well, God didn't do what he's supposed to do. That's an unmet expectation. It's not the truth. It's not who God is, but it's what you believe. So now you believe that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So now you're like, well, wait a minute, God. Well, I don't know if I can do anything else. But that's because you got a misunderstanding. It's not like that. You have to understand who God is. And you have to understand what his promises are. So we expect a certain thing, and after a certain period of time, it doesn't come, what we expect it doesn't come, and we say, well, God didn't do what he said he was going to do. And so now we have an unmet expectation. Now, a lot of us would never ever tell anybody that because that don't sound good. It doesn't make us a good Christian. You know, I have to have to change something if I say that. I can't wear my, my Jesus shirt. You know, too blessed. Uh, what is that? I got a coffee with, uh Too blessed to be stressed. I can't have that coffee mug if I say that. But that's what's in your heart. You can have all the hot coffee mugs, shirts you want to. But if that's what's in your heart, that's how your relationship with God is. That's how you're working with him. So you can't trust him because you still got that going on. 
what needs to happen is you have to change your perception of God. You have to go back and you have to let the light of God come in. You have to let his word come in and show you those places where you thought wrong about God. Whether it was somebody else that gave you the information, whether it was something that you misunderstood, whether it was something that you built up, pulling different things together, something that you thought you experienced, whatever reason, the cause of it is the cause of it. But now what God is saying is, okay, it's there. There's no need in trying to go back and figure out how it, how it got there. Let's just go in and let's correct it. So God is bringing that light in and he's saying, now what do you want to do? Do you want to accept this truth? Or do you want to push that light out? Because what God is saying is, now I'm coming in, I'm going to bring my light, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you some things about me so you can replace those wrong thoughts with the thoughts of who I really am. So I have to change my perception of God. I have to align my perception of God with who he is, not who I want him to be. God reveals himself through his word. So like I said, we got to take the wrong thoughts out, those things that are not God, that are anti-Christ, and replace them with who he really is. Let's see. So what, what are some of the things that I can replace? What are, what are some truths about God? God, he is omnipotent. That means he has unlimited power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. That just blows my mind. I'm like, God, I'm telling you, you start thinking that, you're like, what? And then he's omniscient. He knows. So earlier when I was saying, you know, the, there's nothing God doesn't know about you. So all those things that you're embarrassed about or that you regret, he already knows. It's no need in hiding them. You just, you're, you know what, you're not hiding them. You, you're just putting a, a little blanket over them. But God knows they're there. You know, you know they're there. So he knows. He is the Lord of all power and might. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the sole God, only, one and only God, and ruler of the world. He's the absolute monarch of this universe. So, with those things, with him being, he has unlimited power. He's everywhere at the same time. And he knows. He's the Lord of all power and might. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. The soul, the one and only God. The ruler of the world. The absolute monarch of this universe. What what's bigger and stronger than him? He is the most high God. Go over to Psalms chapter ninety seven. Psalms chapter ninety seven. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. So verse 9 says, For thou, Lord, art high above the earth. 
Thou art exalted far above all gods. And you know, you read that and you're like, oh yeah. You start singing the song. But it says exalted far above. Not just above, but far above all gods. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and the gladness of the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. He is the highest. His power, his mercy, and his sovereignty, that's his supreme power and authority, cannot be matched. He's above everything and everyone. Once again, his power, his mercy, mercy, his supreme power and authority, they can't be matched. So when you, when you think, once again, you think about this. This is who God is. And then you start like, wait a minute, that stuff that I heard before is not even close to this. Once again, God's not a man. I'm going to tell you what, none of this stuff describes me. Because I, I am very limited in power, in strength. Very, very limited. I'm just right here. Right here, right now. And let me tell you, it's a lot. It is so much that I don't know. It's easier for me to tell you what I do know than for me to tell you what I don't know. So that's not me. That's, God is not a man. He is the Most High. He's the everlasting God. This one, I mean, it took me, I would have to come back, I would have to sit down like I would be reading about this, and I'd just have to put everything down and just close my eyes for a minute. Go over to Isaiah chapter 40. He's the everlasting God. That means he's the God of eternity. So Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to start with verse 27. It says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. So what happens here is, is Israel's actually complaining. They're like, Oh God, you forgot about me. Oh, did you see all these bad things that are happening? Oh, so that's what they're saying right now. So here we go. Here's the answer. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth in strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the thing about it is, God gives that strength. So he's the everlasting God. He's the God of eternity. The God without a beginning. The God who will never cease to be. be. The God who will never grow old. And here's a good one right here. This is a good one to ponder on till next week. 
the God to whom eternity is what present time is. I know, I, I read that. I think I, I had to, I just like, okay, God, I'm going to have to take a little break on that one because it just blows my mind. The God to whom eternity is what present time is. He is self-existent. He is uncreated. He extends beyond our greatest vision of who we think he is. No matter how great our concept of God is, it's always, he's always greater. No matter how good you think God is, he's always better. I wanted to say gooder, but that's not a word. God stands out outside of the temporal events of history. He transcends time. So you think about it. And I was, I was trying to figure out a way to explain this. And, and the only thing that came up in my mind was like, you, do they still, I don't know if they still do, but they used to have those ant farms. You know, you, and it was like, the, like a little, I guess a rectangle. And you had all the ants in the dirt and they do all these things. You think of us as the ants. And God's outside of that. So we live in this little bitty world that's in this little frame, and God's outside of that. He's like, I encompass the frame and any other frame you want to bring in. That's the only way, I mean, it's probably a better way to understand it, but that's how I understood it. Like, wow, that, that's how big God is. He is absolutely self-existing. In himself, he possesses eternal life and permanent existence. And this is a God that loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. Therefore, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish. God is who he says he is. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more next week. But what I want you to think on is this question. Is there anything or anyone that can keep God from fulfilling his plan or keeping his promise? So, God is faithful. And the thing about it is, I know what I believe that answer to be. I believe it to be no. But you have to have that same conviction. You have to have that same belief. You have to have that same trust in God. Because if you don't believe, then it can't work for you. You can't get in on my believing. I can only tell you what God has done, and then you have to accept it. You have to believe it. But it's up to you. Like I said earlier, the most important decision you'll ever make, the most important choice you'll ever make is to accept the gospel message. So that has to be your decision, and it's up to you. But God is faithful. He's already provided a way that his standard has not changed. He's not, he, he's not leaving anyone out. The only reason that you will be left out is because you chose not to. So it's up to you. So, like I said earlier, the ball is in your court. But God has done his part. Now it's time for you to take that action and do your part. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.